Hey everyone, what is up? It is Jeff from Honor Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 265. Okay, now I'm going to admit, this week's topic is not as sexy as, as like unloading two pistols into a gang of thugs while you do some sort of like a Starsky and Hutch dive over the hood of your F-150 pickup truck. Um, but I will argue that it is something that is much more critical to your security in any crisis, and especially following any sort of like a major disaster or collapse. So, today we dive into the thrilling world of survival sleeping. And I promise to make it an episode that will truly knock your socks off. All that and more coming right up. But first, don't forget to grab this week's free show notes, including a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points we're going to talk about today. All you have to do is head on over to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 265 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Okay, welcome back everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor of Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance. With another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And that's kind of what how this whole topic got started really because we are in the process right now of really doing like a massive restructuring of our New World Patriot Alliance membership program that just for those of you that don't know that is our inner circle membership program where it's you know we have kind of like a, it's it's a it's a small group of people that are really focused in on bettering themselves their survival skills their tactical skills and we do a number of things over there we have video lessons we have interviews with experts, we have Q&As with experts, we have a lot of different things over there, but we're in the process of really restructuring it based upon member feedback and what other people are looking for out there in any sort of an ongoing training platform. And one of the things that I've really noticed in the restructuring is how we provide that, that roadmap for people for constant skill development. And starting with the very base foundation of what they need to know in each one of the tasks, but also just in order for any, in order to have any sort of survival or tactical goal. And the first thing that keeps coming up, no matter what it is, is always mindset. Mindset, mindset, mindset. If you don't have the proper mindset, all of the other tools and skills that you develop really aren't that practical for the situations that you're going to find yourself in. If you look at even just um, even having a handgun, right? You can have the best handgun in the world, all tricked out with all the bells and whistles. You could be perfectly well trained for it. And yet you might not have the right mindset it takes to be able to respond to an ambush attack, to be able to get that gun into play. Nor might you have the ability to make those shoot or don't shoot decisions. And that could either, you know, basically be the wrong decisions that could put you in jail or you can end up killing somebody that is not meant to be killed, right? It could be an innocent bystander. It could even be your own family member. It all really comes down to the mindset that puts those tools into action, whether it is tactical or whether it is survival. And so because this kept coming up as the foundational factor in all of this, um, I think that well, well, one of the one of the main elements of that that we're building into the lessons plans for developing and managing your survival mindset is how and how well you sleep. Now, this is really important. I mean, I think people can really understand this on a daily like performance level, whether you know you're just talking about school or work. Um, you know how much sleep is required for you to be able to perform to perform at your optimal best, right? Well, this is 
something that I've personally delved deeply into in the military. And you know, it's really important. Like we've we've really done studies now of how of how sleep affects your decision making and your tactical performance. Walter Reed, in fact, which is like the, the primary military hospital that I know of anyway. I mean, Walter Reed is kind of like a, they do sleep studies there. They do a lot of studies there. A lot of soldiers get um, sent to Walter Reed that have larger, you know, um, higher level medical cases, in other words. And so they did a, a look, they did a sleep study on artillery soldiers for a 20 day time period. And what they found was that that there was a degradation of, op, of operational performance depending upon the number of hours of sleep that you get each night. So they studied these uh, different groups of soldiers for 20 days. They had soldiers that just did regular, like basically they recommended seven hours or more of sleep. And so that was one study group. Another group got six hours um, of sleep a night. Another got five hours and they got four hours, et cetera, right? So they had, they, had they had four different groups that were there. And what they found was that there was a severe degradation in operational performance, even just with one hour difference of sleep each night. For example, the soldiers that got above seven hours of sleep, which was optimal, that was the, that was the control group, right? So that we, we would call that 100% effectiveness. Now, those soldiers that got seven hours of sleep a night for 20 days, um, brought it down to 82% effectiveness when tested before, during, and, at, and at the final end of the 20-day study. So it was 82% effectiveness with seven hours of, of sleep per night. Now, at six hours of sleep per night, it went down to 64% readiness. So there was quite a bit of a drop there um, of, uh, what was that? So 18%, there's an, an additional 18% drop, but you're almost already at like half level of performance with six hours of sleep per night. So we're at 64% there. Now, when you bring it down to five hours of sleep a night, it went from 64% readiness level to only 29% readiness level. So it was another drop of more than 50% from just the level above it. Okay, so we're at 29% effectiveness now, going from above seven hours, which we call that 100% or the control group, right? Down all the way to only, let's just call it 30% effectiveness level with only the difference of a couple of hours of sleep. That's huge. That's huge. Okay, so there's some other studies that they did with that. But what you can look at for why is this important for you is that you can see how even just one hour or two hours more of sleep per night can affect your operational readiness. And by operational readiness, I mean your ability to basically be the best you throughout the day right now, but also in the times of crisis, not just and, and really I'm going to focus more on like the survival angle of this. But certainly from a tactical standpoint, that decision-making process, if you are attacked and being able to deploy your weapon, be able to respond to the attack, be able to tactically be able to survive that firefight is one thing, all right? But when we look at it from a survival factor and the crisis that you might be in following a major disaster or a collapse, well, things get even harder there because the reason why this military study is so important is because you have to look at the different factors that each one of these, like all the soldiers here that were part of this study, like what the factors were for what their operation was, what their mission was. And this was originally done with an artillery uh, battery. So these were, these were basically the guys that pull the cord and shoot those, 
those uh, the, the, the cannon rounds all the way down range. But it was also all the supporting elements of that as well. So in other words, um, so there's like a brain function to the artillery or the fire direction center. They are they're basically in this um, this either a tent or a vehicle somewhere. They've got all these computers and they're basically the ones that trans uh, translate the information from the fire support team, which was what one of the people I was. So I was a I was a, a fire support team member. So we were basically in front out on the front lines or sometimes even behind enemy lines looking for targets of opportunity or we were with the infantry calling out artillery fire air support fire to be able to uh, you know right there on the front lines be able to support ourselves that way now that information gets sent back to the fire direction center and is translated over to the the big guns to be able to put rounds down range okay now so there's a big difference here because those those soldiers that are pulling that cord on and 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 also it was done with uh, mortars as well. So mortars, 60 millimeter, 80, 81 millimeter mortars, those are typically with the uh, with the uh, the infantry units also. So they're closer to the front lines because those those tubes. If you ever seen like those, um, they look like big old Pringles cans, right? Like they're giant and they're on a tripod and and you'll see soldiers like they'll drop the uh, the like little handheld missile, if you will, that round gets dropped into the top of the tube and then it goes boom and it like basically gets sent out of the tube and it basically lobs its way into the enemy, right? So that's different than like the cannons where you've got that the round gets loaded in from the from the back. You pull a cord and it shoots the the round out of the cannon. Okay, so I'm just using using a civilian terminology for this to best describe it as much as possible. But there was they saw a higher degradation in operational performance with those. Which do you think would they be the soldiers that were on the front lines, uh, dropping the 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 uh, the rounds inside of the tubes or or pulling the pulling the the cord on the cannons or do you think that the degradation was higher in those that were sitting behind the computer back in in the fire direction center in the FDC well a lot of you would probably think that it would be the people out on the front lines right because there's a lot more stress there what they found though instead what is was that it was the soldiers that were back in fire direction center the ones that weren't really out on the front lines that had the highest degradation in operational performance now this is important to you because what this means is that your mental degradation goes down before your physical degradation goes. So if you start feeling the effects of fatigue, it means that your mental fatigue has already been affected. So your ability for decision making might not be as optimal as you think it is because you don't necessarily maybe feel tired. You might be living off of adrenaline or um, or caffeine, whatever it is, right? So if you don't feel tired, you feel like you should be mentally alert when in fact your mental degradation goes down before your physical um, physical fatigue sets in, okay? Same thing like if you're dehydrated. By the time you feel like you're thirsty, you've already started becoming dehydrated. That was another thing that we learned in the military. You don't wait for you to become thirsty before you, you start drinking water, okay? So uh, so I, th I find that that's, that's really, uh, that's really important here. So some of the findings from that study was that basically in a nutshell, sleep affects decision-making and operational performance. Okay. Um, also stress affects sleep sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. So again, those soldiers that were up on near the front lines, there was a lot more adrenaline. There was a lot more keeping them alert. So their operational performance, even though they were mentally fatigued, even though that, that stress was, was there, that was mentally fatiguing them, they were able to carry through an operational performance a little bit higher because of the need of the situation, 
Okay. Now the other finding here was that soldiers that soldiers are under a lot of stress and they're not getting enough sleep, especially out in the field, nor are they getting the right type of sleep due to a lot of different factors. By the right type of sleep, I mean that is like the truly restful sleep that your body can recover, that it can balance out hormones, that it can reduce stress levels, so that it can really, really come back and recover for you to be able to be your best you. All right. So there were a lot of factors that were um, that were that that make that a problem also. Okay. Now I've also seen this firsthand in our own sleep studies. I've told many of you out there that um, I was in the 10th Mountain Division when it reactivated back in the uh, the mid 80s, and um, one of the things that I took part in there was a a sleep study where we had we were out on op we were on operation missions. Okay. This was all in a training setting, but. We basically did five days of operational missions back to back for all five days. So by that, I mean zero sleep for five full days. Not one single wink, all right? In fact, there were times where we thought we might be able to steal some sleep. Like let's say we were in a defensive uh, situation. So I might be in a foxhole with one other soldier. Now, normally it would be the time where, okay, I've got, I'm going to take this hour. You take the next hour. I take the next, I take this hour. You take the next hour. And we would eventually be able to like basically team tag team working in some sleep there. Well, not a chance. <laughs> like it was, it was built into the study that anytime that we got in there, we were constantly being attacked. So there really was no way to be able to sleep at night. All right. So, or, or even during the day. So again, these were 24 hour, hour operations for five days um, continuously, all right? Now, there were some good things that came out of this study um, that the Walter Reed study did. I'm gonna share those with you right now in five critical tips that I've learned either from personal experience or from the, um, from the results of these different tests are out there. Now, this is something that can help you right now because a lot of people just do not get enough sleep or you think you get enough sleep, but you're really not getting enough sleep for you to be your optimal you. And I can fall into that, that, uh, that case right there as well. But also when it comes to survival readiness, you know, what can you do to best be at your, your, opt your operational optimum performance so that you can make those best decisions and get you and your family to safety as quickly as possible and protect yourself from those threats that you might have along the way. All right. So I have five critical tips here that are going to help you with this survival sleeping. OK, so number one, tip number one is to be your own sleep lab. All right. So you're going to do your own sleep study on you. Now, you're actually going to find this a lot of fun and there's a lot that you're going to learn from this as well. And really, this is about analyzing your current sleep patterns to find how well do you sleep right now? So normally people are just looking at, well, uh, the number of hours, like when they went to bed and when they woke up, they're looking at how uh, awake are they when they get up in the morning? Did they get enough sleep? Did they feel restful? Um, did they wake up during the night? How many times did you get up to go to the bathroom during the night? So there's how many times you're, you're woken up. But really on a deeper level, you don't really know when you're asleep, how, how asleep you really are. Are you getting good REM sleep, you know, rapid eye movement sleep, that deep, deep sleep that re that helps your body recover? Or are you just kind of in this, this kind of in, be in between sleep and awakeness, which isn't really giving you rest, okay? Well, you, the only way for you to know that is to become your own sleep lab. Now there is, um, I, I use a couple different sleep cycles. So if you have a smartphone, there are a couple of different apps that I recommend that you get. The one that I'm, I really wanna focus in on though, is called Sleep Cycle. 
So that's the name of the app. You can go ahead and I think it's on iOS and on Android, uh, but it's called Sleep Cycle. The other one is called Sleepmatic. I like Sleep Cycle the best. Basically, you plug your smartphone in. There's two ways that you can use it. You, it'll either pick up movement on the bed, so you can place it like um, on the, on the like top corner of the bed near where you sleep. So it'll it'll just basically check the movement of, that you have during the night. The other way is that you just rest it on the bedside table and it just kind of listens throughout the night. So it listens to see if you're snoring, it listens to see if you're moving around. It can even determine if it's you or your spouse. So it, it it's really good. I like, sleep, I like sleep cycle the best. And that's the one I'm gonna really focus in on here. So what that does, that's gonna allow you to be able to set a, a time that you want to wake up. And what it does, it's gonna, it's gonna basically start a half an hour before that wake up time. And it's gonna start to wake you up um, at the time that is optimal based upon how how awake you already are. So in other words, it's going to read, okay, you're kind of coming out of sleep right now, so let's gently take you out of sleep rather than giving you this, well, you, your body kind of wants to wake up, but now you're going to start to go into deeper sleep. So if you wake up then at the time that you set the alarm, so it might not be optimal for you, right? Like you, waking out of a deep sleep isn't going to be as good for you as like your body is naturally wanting to wake up and you just kind of come out of sleep that way, right? So sleep cycle kind of gives you that, like it, it gauges that, but here's what it really does, right? This is what I really like about it, is that um, you can set the parameters for what you did during the day or right before you went to sleep. So you can basically create your own little list of here's what my, um, here's what the factors were leading into me going asleep. For example, did you have, you could set things up like you ate late, you had a heavy meal, you exercised that day, you took a sleep aid, you meditated, whatever it is. You, you can build your own list of things that you did throughout the day. Was it a very stressful day or was it a low key day, right? So those are different things that you can do. So that's the, that's number one is you have to know where you're starting before you know where you're going to, okay? So that's gonna basically monitor you throughout the night. And then what you're gonna do is you're gonna see that each day for what your sleep was throughout the night. You'll see when you were in deep sleep, you'll see that you'll see where you woke up. You'll see where you were restless, where maybe you were tossing and turning. Maybe you were still asleep, but it wasn't really restful sleep. You were tossing, you were turning, maybe you were dreaming. Um, who knows what it is, right? But it'll show you those restless periods that you have there. So that snapshot is really gonna be very illustrative for you in what your actual sleep patterns are, okay? So step number one here, or, or tip number one, is to be your own sleep lab by using some sort of a sleep app or um, like that, okay? Now I should tell you that if you don't have a smartphone, there are some, some devices that you can buy. You can get them on Amazon that you have next to the bed that will act as like their alarm clocks, but they also do this sleep study as well, all right? So there's a lot of different options that you have for you out there. Okay, now step, uh, tip number two here is kind of in the same vein here, which is to experiment with what affects you the most. So with my sleep cycle app, what I've done is I have created a laundry list of things that I can just tap right before I go to bed so that I can set up, okay, these are the these are the factors. Now you can start figuring out what different factors affect you the most. So once you have that, so I, I recommend that you don't do anything special for like a week. Find out what your your week-long time, this gives you all the work, the work days, if you will, like those weekdays, as well as the weekend where most people are catching up on sleep and things like that. So you can really start to see how many hours you slept, what your wake up times were, your go to sleep times, and all those different factors. So you do that for a week. 
Now what you want to do is ex start experimenting with what affects you the most. So for example, um, it's recommended that you not have any caffeine, caffeinated drinks five hours before you go to bed because obviously caffeine can keep you awake and can uh, prevent you from going into the mode of, of REM sleep, of, of recovery sleep, okay? So you can try like no caffeine five hours beforehand. Uh, you could try no late night eating. I'm a big, I like, I like to, I like to snack late at night. I like to watch television and snack late at night. That's my wind down time. But what I find is that that doesn't work very well for me because it's forcing my body when it should be recovering. I've got this meal in my stomach and all of my body's recuperative processes are spent digesting food that shouldn't really be there. Okay, so you could try things like that. You also shouldn't have any sort of television or any sort of screen time an hour before bed. So no television, no iPad, no reading on a Kindle, no no playing any anything on the phone, no Facebook or anything like that. So it's best to do something that is not screen related. So reading a book, for example, an hour before bed. So getting away from that blue light there, uh, no computer time, anything like that, okay? So for you, you have to determine what are the things that are potential factors for you and then start eliminating things or adding things. Like, for example, an addition might be taking melatonin before you go to bed. Does that have an effect or does it not have an effect? Um, CBD oil is another supplement that people take to be able to relax more at night. So you can start to put those things in place that you can start to see how do they affect. And what you do is... You'll start to get a readout. The more you use an app like Sleep Cycle, you'll start to get a readout for trends. In other words, it'll tell you, hey, your best times are when you don't, uh, you have no screen time an hour before bed um, on days that you exercise or on days that you meditate. Like it'll basically cross, cross, you know, uh, plot, if you will, all the different factors that have affected your sleep. And it'll pull out those factors that are helping you and those things that are hurting you. When do you have the least amount of sleep? When do you have the best quality sleep? Okay. And so that's a real, that's a, that's a really great thing for you to start to see, even from an operational standpoint, because now you know if it is a crisis and you are, let's say you're evacuating your home and you're trying to make it to safety and it's all chaos and pandemonium out there. Well, now you know the different types of things that are going to allow you to sleep, you know, get in the sleep where you can. And we're going to talk about that right now as we go into number three, because now let's talk about how you get sleep during a crisis, during an operation, if you will, during a mission, whether it's a survival mission or whether it's a, a tactical mission. All right. So tip number three here is to actually plan for sleep. You have to plan your sleep. Now, daily wise, that means it's best to be able to have a regular time that you go to bed and a regular time that you wake up. So that's gonna get your body set on a cycle. I've already got my cycle programmed in from 10 years of the military, of getting up at like 4, 4.30 in the morning. And that is when I actually operate the best. So I typically get up anywhere from four to five o'clock in the morning. Um, and getting up that early, I know helps me the most. If I get up and the sun is already up, I'm immediately groggy. My body does not do well when I wake up after the sun is coming up. Okay, so I know I do best when I get up um, when I get up first thing in the morning. You might be entirely different from that standpoint, okay? Again, that sleep cycle pattern and you being able to do that sleep lab is one thing. But planning for your sleep is something that you really have to do during a crisis, okay? So again, you need to make sure that you maintain operational readiness. Sleep is gonna help you do that. In fact, when I was in the military, one of the jobs that I did 
um, for a couple of years actually was I was a forward observer. Same thing I did on the ground, but I did it from an OH-58 uh, helicopter. So it's a small single engine helicopter. We were a scout for the Apache helicopters and also did reconnaissance in those helicopters. The same thing I did on the ground as, as long range reconnaissance. And so, uh, but flying a very expensive piece of machinery up in the air requires you to have, um, you need to be operationally ready at all times. And so we were, requ we were required to have eight hours of sleep. We weren't allowed to just go like we were in the infantry where we might sometimes go day after day after day without sleep. Um, we actually had to get sleep when we were flying that kind of equipment. All right. So it was a safe, it was truly a safety thing. So same thing for you during a survival crisis is the plan for sleep, whether that is um, evacuating or whether it's a, a survive in place situation. Yes, there could be threats out there. There could be looters out there. There could be uh, natural disasters that are still coming your way. Yes, you do need to be able to be ready for those things, but you need to make sure that you're making the best decisions through sleep. Now, you do this through structuring a sleep plan. So, for example, um, do you have if you have a survival team or even if it's you in your family, having somebody that can be on guard duty, if you will, let's just call it guard duty, um, whilst other people sleep. Now, it needs to be somebody that you can really depend on. People need to understand the mission readiness of having a guard plan, somebody to be alert and ready to go just in case there is any sort of a threat that comes up in the middle of the night. Okay, so survival team must have a guard on duty. Now, the other thing here is that you're best off getting protected sleep. Okay, so uh, this was another thing that was found from the study was that four hours of comfortable protected sleep where you are able, where you feel like you can sleep, in other words, is better than a longer period of what we could just call twilight sleep. So it's it's like you're just trying to catch some Z's wherever you can. And let's say that it's going to be, let's say that you didn't have anybody on duty, right? So let's say there, you were in a survival place scenario, you were in your home, but you were the only one there and there were threats out there. So you didn't know when there, let's say that there were looters in your area, but, but, you, but you didn't know when they were going to actually happen. Okay, maybe there were protests happening. So you might feel like, okay, I'm going to get eight hours of sleep tonight, but you never know when threats happen. You, there might be gunfire going on out there. And so you might not be able to get a full night's sleep because you're constantly waiting for something to wake you up or you're waiting for the threat. And so your body doesn't let you get that kind of uh, that deep REM sleep. All right. So getting four hours of comfortable protected sleep, they found, is better at recovery and your readiness than a longer period of twilight sleep. So that brings us to tip number four here, which is to protect a sleep ready survival plan. So that means that any opportunity that you get for comfortable sleep is um, is what you should be planning for. You've got to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Okay, so um, for example, let me give you an example here. If you were an evacuation uh, uh, standpoint, um, if you were to make camp, for example, um, we found in the military, like we never knew when we were actually going to have to get up and move. There were times where we would set up camp somewhere. We'd put our hooch up, our tent, uh, whatever you want to call it, right? Like for us, it was a poncho and bungee cords. That was the fastest way we could put something up and the fastest way we could take it down because you didn't know you could get everything settled in. you could get in your nice little snuggly sleeping bag. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, you hear the sergeant call out. All right, pack up. We're moving to a different destination. We got different orders. All of a sudden, you got everything you pulled up. You got to take back down. It's one of the reasons why we never use tents in the military 
and we only use ponchos and bungee cords was because we could just wrap it all up, stick it inside of our, our backpack and be ready to go again. We needed to be, so in other words, if you, if you have an easy up campsite, then that means it's only up in a couple of minutes rather than setting up a tent, doing all this sort of thing. And that way you can take advantage of more sleep time. Same thing with if you need to take everything down, um, you know, you can get more sleep because it only, it only comes down in a couple minutes. You throw it inside of a bag, you're done. Okay. All right. The other, fan, the other uh, tip I have here is to take advantage of downtime that you have. So anytime we were uh, basically going from one location to another, if we were lucky enough to get a deuce and a half, like a, a, a large cargo truck or personnel truck or a Humvee or anything like that, like those were opportune times. If we knew it was me 15, 20 minutes, maybe even an hour to our next destination, then we were sleeping in the back of that vehicle. Okay, we were taking advantage of that time. Everybody was sleeping and it was relatively protected sleep because if we weren't in a combat environment, we didn't have to worry about bullets flying through the side of the Humvee. We, we knew it was just a transport mission and we could just basically rack out. You put your, you put your, um, put your helmet on your, uh, on your, on your rifle, unloaded, of course, <laughs> but, but you just, you basically learned to basically essentially sleep standing up. Um, as best you can. Now that's not really recovery sleep, but you take advantage of those of the downtime that you have. Now remember, if you're feeling fatigued, you're most likely already mentally fatigued. So you need to look for the opportunity to take a nap instead of getting caffeine whenever possible. Okay, so if you don't have to be operationally alert and you start feeling fatigued, a lot of people what they'll do is they'll go to the soft drinks or they'll go for coffee. What you end up doing is basically um reduce or uh, increasing your stress level hormones that are going to make it harder for you to sleep. You're keeping yourself more alert, but you're not allowing your body to recover. So you're basically putting a bandaid on a disease. So it's the same thing. Like if you were thirsty, in other words, if your body was dehydrated, but you're experiencing it as thirst, you could either drink water or you could, let's say, just put a piece of gum in your mouth. Now, putting a piece of gum in your mouth, you're not going to be thirsty anymore. It's going to make your salivary glands activated and it's, you know, you're not going to be necessarily be thirsty, but only one method here fixes the problem and that's drinking water because the problem is you're dehydrated. Same thing when it goes for fatigue. If you're just drinking coffee to stay alert, this doesn't matter even if it's in your job, what you really might need is a nap instead. Even corporations have discovered this now where they're allowing people these these nap pods to be able to give them the ability to take a sleep, to take a snooze in the afternoon without actually just trying to, you know, just load everybody up on caffeine in the afternoon. All right. They're finding that the naps are actually giving them better performance when they come back to their job after 20 minutes. Okay. All right. So now this brings me to combat napping, which is our, which is our final factor here. Okay. So this goes to where, like where you do have an opportunity to take a nap and you can take one. This is how you're going to maximize that time. And I'm a huge, huge proponent of taking an afternoon nap, right? Siesta time. Mexico figured this out a long time ago, people. Um, but it is something that I like to do uh, each day. And that is get an afternoon nap in right after lunch. So one thing here, so we're going to talk operational uh, combat napping here, okay? So I have a lot of different things here that you can do that are going to help you. Uh, and these are things that I use um, really basically on a, on, a daily, on a daily basis. So number one is to be comfortable. So for me, on my daily nap, I do that in a hammock. Don't know what it is about a hammock. I don't know if it's like, a, I always wonder if it's like, a, like being back in the womb thing, like if it's really 
like primeval. Like, are we really like it's I don't even know if that's the word primeval. I don't know. Anyway, like, does it bring us back to when we were a baby in the mother's womb, like that most secure time there? I don't know. But for me, being in a hammock, I'm super comfortable in a hammock. Operational readiness, let's say that you're out there in the woods somewhere, you're you're evacuating somewhere, you want to make sure that you're comfortable. If you have something that's digging into you, I know this from experience. Anytime that I would find like we would set up set up my hooch for um for op, in, on an operation, if I was on a cement floor, really sucks, right? Uh, I like the wilderness better, but if you have a um a root from a tree that's sticking up out of the ground, digging you in the side every time you turn to the left then that's going to keep waking you up and it keeps you from having like like deep sleep there. Okay, so you want to make sure that you are comfortable. So making sure that you have some sort of bedding. That's why we had bed rolls in the military was to make sure that we could get best the best sleep that we possibly could. So you need to make sure that you can stay warm or cool to make sure that you whatever you're sleeping on is as comfortable as you possibly get it. Any other factors that would be distractions like mosquitoes. That's one of the reasons why we had mosquito head nets to be able to keep the mosquitoes off of you. Anybody that's been tried camping and you hear that, like you're trying to get some sleep and that thing just keeps buzzing in your ear, you know that's a big factor there, right? So uh, mosquitoes are, uh, are one of those things. You want to make sure that you're comfortable. Now, next, you want to make sure that you are protected. So I told you before, like if you're constantly like feel like you have to wake up, because there's a threat out there, you're not gonna be able to get a good night's sleep. In basic training, I think I've told this uh, this on a few occasions here, in basic training, the drill sergeants used to go around and if they were able to steal your rifle out of your tent, then you were in for a world of hurt the next day. Like they would go around and, and their whole goal there was really to make sure that you were sleeping, but you didn't get deep sleep because you needed to be ready for a threat at all times. Now, I think that they've changed that probably now with all these different studies that have been done on operational performance and sleep in the military specifically. But nonetheless, back then, it really trained me to not sleep deeply. Now, I'm I'm happy to say that I'm, I'm, I'm able to sleep much better now, but it's that sort of thing. Like I, I wasn't protected. Like there was always an enemy that was ready to reach inside of my tent and make make me a fool the next day in front of all my my peers. Right. So that's one thing. Um, but being protected operationally for you might mean that you you find a place that's out of the way. So if you're in your vehicle trying to sleep while you're evacuating, but you're out in a location where there's lots of people around, and you don't know if there's going to be somebody knocking on your window asking you for supplies or hey, do you have gas? Are our vehicles out of gas? Um, I see that you you look like you've got extra supplies. Do you have some gas that you can spare? So if you don't feel protected, you're going to be ready for that tap on the glass at any time, right? So you want to make sure that you stay, you stay hidden where you're not going to be affected by other people that might be around you. Another thing that would help you in that area is to use intrusion detectors. So I used to use this when I was doing any sort of solo operations in bodyguard work. If it was just me and the household at night, um, there were times where we had even like power was down. So I would even have to set up my own makeshift intrusion detection around the place. And that might just mean trip wires. It might mean soda cans that are piled up. Anything that I could use, especially if I was in, an, in a remote environment, I would set up operational trip flares and things like that. All right. So if I know that somebody is going to trip a flare and wake me up, then that allows me to be able to get better sleep. So are you protected in that way? Okay. Um, the other thing that we talked about before was having a trustworthy guard on duty. All right. Uh, the next thing I'll say is artificial darkness. So you in your home, if your room is, if, if the room where you sleep is not protected from light, in other words, if you have light coming through a window, 
that is going to tell your brain basically that light goes through your eyelids and it starts to signal your brain like the sun is coming up and so that can stop you from getting deep sleep right there so just getting blackout curtains is going to help you right so um, that's going to help you daily now in artificial darkness out on operational readiness if you're out away from your home for example you can just use a bandana over your eyes or a hat placed over your eyes but you want to have darkness as best as you as you possibly can all right the next thing i would say are earplugs so um, just from all my time in the military especially being in combat environments i can tell you that um, i have real kind of odd sleeping habits um, i when i i used to live near a uh, when I lived in, on, uh, near the base with my family, I was near the uh, the impact area where the art, the artillery impact area. So there would be rounds going off all night long from the cannons shooting out there, right? But and and I could sleep through that no problem. But if in the next room my daughter got out of the bed and I could hear I could hear the creaking boards of her floor and it woke me up. I would wake up and I would have to go see what was going on. It might just be her going, having to go to the bathroom or something, but that would wake me up, whereas the cannon fire wouldn't wake me up. All right, so earplugs are going to help you to be able to avoid any sort of outside influences that might affect your, your being able to get a good night's sleep. So I'm in an apartment now in Chicago. I moved into an apartment here, and unfortunately, my my apartment uh, my bedroom windows go back to where there is a distribution center for a mail center so there are trucks coming in all night long so what i had to do was manage that sound through the use of a um, a sound like a white noise uh, machine i also have a a um air conditioner that can go off so there's different ways you can create white noise to be able to do that if you don't if you can't wear earplugs but earplugs do work very well all right um okay now the other thing that i'll tell you that works really well for me is an app for my phone called brain uh, i think it's brain um let's see what the app's called i think it's called let me see what is it called um it's brain.fm is the name of the app and i think that's their website also i mean i'll have a link to it in the show notes and on, on the on the website i mean but um nonetheless it's brain fm is the is the app that i have now what i like about brain.fm is it helps me even with focus which i have a hard time doing during the day like staying concentrated in focus is not my i mean my add kicks up pretty hard so i can use that they use uh, whatever beta waves or something within the music or the sounds to be able to tap into my brain to be able to make me more focused and it actually works what I like about the app is that you can choose focus time, whether I want to do it for 20 minutes or how long I want to do it. You can choose the type of focus that you want to do. It'll change the, the waves that they use in, within the music. It'll change the type of music. There's lots of things that you can do there. If you're looking to be alert, if you're looking to relax, if you're looking to sleep, there's different elements of the app that create sound that you would, that you would best wear through headphones, okay? So this can also be used to be able to put you to sleep. So for me, for my afternoon nap, what I do is I put on nap time on my brain.fm app so um, what i find is that this puts me to sleep very very quickly this combined with the with the um with the hammock so i go to sleep very quickly and then what it does is it runs that music for the time that you set and i recommend not having a nap for more than say 20 minutes absolutely not more than 45 minutes if you get more than that then your body starts to go into deeper sleep and when you wake up out of your nap, you're going to be a lot groggier. So I recommend like a 20 minute nap time. 
And using the brain.fm, I know I get deeper sleep because I have that app that's running in the background that's putting me into artificially putting me into a deeper sleep. So I get real true, true rest and recovery. Okay, so that's a really good app as well. Now, these are things that work on your phone, even if there's no cell service. Okay, so you can download your favorite apps on that and you can have it available for offline use on there. Okay, so that's really, really powerful there because we all talk about, you know, EMPs or I mean, um, you know, cell towers going down during a disaster, loss of power. Well, this is something you can use even just with. Um, even with your smartphone, even when there is no power out there, you can have a solar charger for your phone or you can use some other sort of a charger that will be able to keep it going. OK. All right. That's combat napping. OK. All right. So those are those are the five tactical tips that I have for survival sleeping. Um, I'd like to hear what works best for you. So make sure that you go out on our on our blog and in the comments section. Let me know what are some of the things that you've learned about your own sleep patterns? What works well for you? What are your sleep time rituals? What do you do at night to get the best night's sleep? I'm personally in a personally in a state of re, uh, discovery right now. I'm really doing some experimenting right now, trying to get away from that. Uh, the main thing I'm trying to do is get away from computer time right before going to bed. And I'm also trying to do like a, a nighttime tea that I can have, um, you know, with, with chamomile and all these little nice little sleepy herbs in them. So I'm trying different things that way. So I would like to hear what are some things that you've found that have worked well for you. Please go ahead and head on over to the, uh, to the blog and make sure that you leave us your own comments. Or what are some of the things that you struggle with? Put some of that in there. Let's let our audience as well as I'll, get, I'll jump on there too and see what we can do to help everybody get some better sleep in here. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for this week's broadcast. I hope you got a lot of this. I hope it wasn't a real snooze fest for you. I don't think it was. I think if you put these in place, you're going to be really um, remarkably excited about what you discover about yourself and about your own performance and start to see some real changes on a daily basis as well as prepping you for a survival basis. All right. Until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>